0: Hello and welcome to There's No Business Like," a podcast where friends and industry colleagues explore topics and interview leaders in our industry of professional theatrical touring.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Josh Benson here, uh, and I am here with my friends, Kevin. Kevin Maynard, Quad City Arts. Katie.
0: Katie Miller, Midland Center for the Arts. Danielle. Danielle, the Alden in McLean, Virginia.
1: And Brian. Brian Zelmer from KU Presents. So our, our guest today didn't take necessarily a direct path into what they're doing in the industry now. They were kind of working adjacently to where they're at now. Uh, and I wondered if if you guys, whenever you, the first thing that you did, even if it was a student job or something you did in college that was adjacent to the industry to where you're at now, what was that first thing for you?
2: I worked at a Ren fair once and my job was to be a hawker. So I worked for a booth that sold uh, ladies' bodices. (laughs) And my goal was to stand out or, you know, to bring people into the booth. I had to stand out and hawk at people. And we had all these rhymes and different sayings and stuff. And, um, you know, I guess in a way we were performing in a character.
0: Similarly, I also attempted to work in sales as a young person. Uh, But I thought it would be awesome to be a, a sample person in a grocery store Um, So I wasn't hawking fine ladies' goods, but I would usually have to watch a video about some product. And then I stood in a fine Walmart and would ask people if they wanted a sample. And I did that for mm, a few times until I said, I don't think this is for me. But I will say I learned a lot about rejection.
1: (laughs) That is so key to our industry.
3: <laughs> my real only adjacent job to what I'm doing now was actually still pseudo in the industry. It was when I started at college, um, just working with a, an arts presenting organization and really just being the accountant guy who you know was the the treasurer because nobody else knew how numbers worked. Um, so that that was really my my introduction to it. And to be quite honest, at that time I had no idea that people did arts jobs in the real world. Like that just wasn't. On my radar.
4: So, my first job in the industry was actually related as well. I was a junior in high school. I was in a production of Anything Goes uh, for my school. And our choreographer, like our adult choreographer, just Stopped coming to rehearsals and stopped working on the show. And so the director was like, Oh, hey, Katie, you're already here. Do you want to choreograph the rest of the show? So I choreographed all of the tap numbers and taught all of my fellow students how to tap dance because nobody, frankly, knew. And so the next season, the adult directing team was like, Hey, can we just pay you to choreograph this musical? Uh, So for 500 bucks, I choreographed Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat as a senior in high school and was in the show. At the same time
1: i had student jobs in college and uh but the one that kind of led me into uh understanding more about organizing things and getting things started and, and taking on projects is working for a rave production company as a set designer and lighting designer um, and working within their budgetary ideals to to create that space for the raves our guests today adrian and jerry ross uh, started adjacent in the industry to what they're doing now with their agency. Um, it was a pleasure to sit down with them. Kevin was there with me as well. And here we go with Adrian and Jerry Ross.
5: I'm Adrian Ross. I'm the vice president of Harmony Artists. I'm Jerry Ross, and I'm the president
6: of Harmony Artists actually that's the only place I'm president, but... So,
1: tell us a little bit about your background. How did you find the arts as a whole, and then how did you get into the business of the
6: arts? You can start. You're, you've been at it longer than I have.
5: <laughs> I went to Penn State. I have a master's in acoustical engineering with a theater minor. That's how I got into the arts.
6: Oh, boy, my story is much more bizarre. I was in a band couldn't sing until they saved my life, but I was in a band, and then as I moved through uh, regular or real jobs, I owned a little rehearsal studio in Marina Del Rey for a while that never made any money. I managed a band that was in the process of getting dropped from CBS Records, (laughs) so didn't make any money. I was involved with a guy from Rolling Stone who wanted to manage some other bands, and we wound up finding a few that never made any money. and in between all this stuff, I kept going back to the regular world, hated it, just hated it and thought there's got to be a way to make a living at this. other people are. And I thought, okay, I need to put myself in between a money flow. And I during my management stuff, I'd met a guy who was doing... Uh, he was doing buy-sells for colleges. He would buy a band from an agency, upcharge it, and then sell it to a, a college. He had a couple of bands, and he told me about them. I called them up on the phone, hi, how you doing? Where do you like to play? And they would give me the list of clubs, and I'd write down these clubs really fast. And then I would call the clubs, hi, how you doing? I'm Jerry from, what was it? New Dawn Entertainment. <laughs> Uh, what kind of bands do you use? I'd write all those names down and I would, had some cards printed and I would go out to the club and I'd say, Hi, I'm Jerry from New Dawn Entertainment. I'm here to talk with, pick the club owner's name. And I spent about a year and a half, six nights a week, five to six nights, five to six clubs a night going out and just meeting everybody. And uh, met the man who eventually became my partner, Mike Dixon. We were introduced by a club owner and uh, started uh, band agency in nineteen what do I have to say <laughs> nineteen seventy four, and uh, started a band agency. Then we incorporated in October of nineteen seventy five, and lots of history since then. But that's how I got started.
1: So Adrian, you you told us about your your degrees. Yeah, but. How did that translate into
5: actually working in the
1: industry? Where, what was the next step after that for you?
5: I, gra- I didn't graduate Penn State. Um, I eventually got my degree just a few months later. But I left Penn State with the uh, encouragement of my professors. And I got a job uh, designing sound and lights for theaters in the city, in New York. That was a really, really hard time to be a woman in the industry, in that side of the industry. And I had an offer from a small touring company to come and be more of a manager slash producer. And uh, so I did that. And that's how I got involved in that. Took that company from four live cities to touring 400. It, It was... The Disney of children's entertainment live on stage before Disney was the Disney of entertainment live (laughs) on stage. We produced for Madison Square Garden uh, and Radio City, and we had our own company. From there, I had a real—I mean, 25 years later, I had a situation where the owner of the company, although I was the CEO, the owner of the company uh, had— borrowed my 501C3 and had put it into the film industry and lost money. And so I left because I'd been wooed for several years to be a producer uh, for a TV show, um, Zubilee Zoo with Ben Vereen. Flew out to LA. And I decided, well, that was just as bad as starting in New York when I, when I started being a woman. Harmony Arts asked me to come and, and uh, start a performing arts division of their company. And I did, and the rest is history. Well, it's all history, actually. It's all, yeah, you're right, it's all history. <laughs> so the, how long
1: did it take you to realize you didn't want to do the producer role of Ben Green? Because that sounds, oh, sounded okay.
5: like oh, an amazing opportunity. 15 okay. minutes. 15 minutes, about 15 <laughs> minutes. I was used to Broadway, I was used to New York, I was used to people that if they were going to be evil to you, would look you right in the eye and say, watch out, I'm going to get you. Because that's the New York way. I went to L.A. to do this show. The, the well, inmates also, ran the asylum.
6: You were also rookie, working with a complete rookie.
5: Oh, yeah. The, the executive producer was had no idea what he was doing. He ran a, he owned a very uh, very large special effects company and thought he could now produce. I brought in um, Robin Fredericks, who wrote Winnie the Pooh's, mu- Pooh's music and was a writer, uh, composer for Disney to do the music. I brought in a a very well-known writer, director from New York, uh, Don Kersey, to direct the segments. And uh, because the show was a reboot, it had been on before on PBS, this was with PBS, because it had been a reboot, the actors and performers thought that they knew more than we would ever know, and they made our lives miserable. And the executive director, being so new, Just let whatever was going to happen happen. He let the inmates run the asylum. He did. So my composer left after a few weeks and said, "I don't need this." The director left after just a couple of days and said, "This I can't. I won't. I'm going back to New York. I'm going to." You know, I stayed and finished my contract. It was a it was a situation in television where you never knew who was out to get you and to prove themselves. And so it was a really tough time. I don't know if television's still the same. I haven't been in television in a long time, although I produced for PBS a lot. Um, but that was a different ilk, a different uh, milieu. They, they, they um, were very honest and upfront and just.
1: You had been in the production aspects for quite a while. You were, obviously, with the touring entity, you were on the business
5: end of it. 100%. I was, I've always been, even though I was designing, I was always on the business end. Even when I was doing sound design, I was the one who did the budgeting. I was the one who uh, did the proposals. I was the one who did the presentations. When the touring company, I was definitely on the business end. I managed the booking agency division. I managed. The uh, artistic and creative people. I mean, I've always been in the business end.
1: So, you didn't really shift from being in production to business. You were just always there from the beginning, even though your primary role ne- wasn't necessarily the business end. It just fit for you and you just took off with it.
5: Totally, yeah. yes. And, and the other thing was the fact is, I went to Penn State, and Penn State has a totally different perspective on training their students. Uh, First of all, almost all my professors came from New York City. They all had worked in the industry. They taught us, and it was a five-year program, five-year master's program. They taught us that theater is a business, and theatrical enterprise is a business, and film and television, we always knew it was a business. But they taught us that you could never be successful, even as a performer, if you didn't treat it like a business.
3: Yeah, I, I would say that I, I love that because that is one thing I think we re, we try to reiterate numerous times is that it you have to treat it like a business, you have to run it like a business because, I mean, at the end of the day, like if, if money's not coming in, you know, we don't get paid, and you know, eventually, like you either lose an agency, you lose a venue, exactly, um, and those things fall apart. So, I mean, it's it's very important to keep that focus.
5: Oh, totally. And the other thing was, I would go when I was producing in New York. We were an equity company. We Actors Equity. We would be at auditions, and somebody walked in from Carnegie Mellon or UC Irvine or Penn State, and we knew that every one of them would be someone that was good to work with, mm-hmm. because they were all taught the same way: that theater is a business, and that this, this is not just your passion or or your creativity or your or your talent. This was your career.
1: And so, Jerry, a totally different path with you. <laughs>
6: Completely.
1: <laughs> hey,
5: rock and roll, baby.
1: <laughs> so, you were in the club and rock and roll, you know,
6: world. So, it, in the mid '70s, in the nightclub business, in, in the going out and partying business, it was the it was the day of the baby boomer, the hugest, the largest population bulge we've ever had. All the ki- all the kids that were born when the war ended. Um, we're now moving into co- club age. Orange County during that time period. Orange County was the fastest growing county in the nation. Everyone had three or four jobs and money to burn. No kids, so that marketplace. I did as much business in five counties as other agencies would do in five states. Um, it was <laughs> it was a heyday. <laughs> it there was it was probably the heyday of the the nightclub dance clubs. So we were in that until, well, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, the the new diseases that came up through sexual transmission started happening. As the baby boomers started to age into parenting and getting older and being more responsible and economic reality hit, that the club market started to dry up. Oh, and disco. Disco helped kill the club market Mm -hmm. because everybody wanted to see the band do the same thing they were watching on MTV. So MTV really had a, an impact on the, the live music scene. And as that started to tail off, we started to look at other markets to get into. So we moved into the fair and festival market because it was a natural transition for us.
1: And this was, were you still under the under the title of New Dawn Entertainment? Oh, oh, or?
6: No, I'll go back. <laughs> so um, the gentleman who had New Dawn who brought me in, was kind of like those TV guys she was talking about. I had no idea how badly I was getting screwed. But listen, he gave me a coffee table, well, two square coffee tables that I pushed together, sat on a couch and a phone. And that was my desk for the first six to eight months I was doing this. When Mike Dixon and I decided we were going to do something together, we wanted Scott to join us. He really felt that he deserved so much more. And after about six months of negotiating, um, we decided that Scott could go do his thing and Mike and I were gonna go do ours. He was always in that college buy-sell business and we were in the agent business. We were booking bands and nightclubs and taking a commission. So after about six months, realizing that it was not gonna be a deal to be made, we became harmony artists we move forward from there. So I was and,
1: and as more of a true agency without the buy sell aspect. Right.
6: Actually, we do not. It's a, it's a piece of the business we do not do. It's just not something I believe in. I think that uh, there's there's not enough transparency. Uh, there was a gentleman I knew who got into the corporate business and he would he would buy a band for 10 grand and sell them for 15 or 20 and the band got the 10. So you know, he would be making 50%, 60%. It was just Userist as far as I'm concerned, but then we started to develop into the, the fair and festival market as well as the nightclub market slowed down. Did a little bit of corporate stuff and then Miss Adrian came into my life.
5: <laughs> well, no, actually, I came into your life when you were doing the fair and festival because I was still producing out of the East Coast, and oh, you that's represented true. you. We were introduced. <laughs> by uh, we were introduced by somebody who thought we
6: Kevin were, Benson. <laughs> yeah.
5: We thought <laughs> we'd to be give great Kevin together. Credit. Yes. Uh well, Kevin also got sponsorship for my shows. We were doing Little Mermaid long before Disney and uh, he got us Chicken of the Sea. They they were yeah, it was great. They wrote us a big check. I cashed the up. check. <laughs> <They> <laughs> one week later, up. one week later they said <laughs> did went chapter 11. <laughs> no more
6: chicken then, of the yeah. as but long
5: as you got the check i got check. oh i got the check it went in my bank. anyway but kevin um, introduced the two of us that's right. right and jerry represented my shows for the fair and festival market mm. and you know as an agent and I, don't, I hope you don't mind if i take you off track for a second as an agent and as a producer we became very aware very early that it's a lot better to work together with people, be it another agency, be it another producer, than to work against them or to be adversarial. And he represented me for certain markets. It crossed over. It never mattered if it crossed over because we were very transparent with each other, very open, and we all make a lot more money if we work together. And um, we still, to this day, we'll work with other agencies. As long as you understand each other and you are very clear with each other, it's it very good. takes a lot good. of openness. It does. It does. It's a great way to do business. It really is.
6: So I started, I, I, was it Alibaba? I think so. The Dade County Youth Fair was the first date. Aladdin. We ever, Aladdin. The Dade County First day Youth Fair was the first date we ever did together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a huge tent for Adrian shows. And we started working together that way. And then that, that was what led to the partnership. When the person she was working for did the 501c3 thing, and she decided it was probably really time to move on, Mike and I decided that we would start to work together with her. She was still on the East Coast. We were, of course, still in, in LA all the time. And uh, we produced together a Winnie the Pooh. We did, and we do. We toured Winnie the Pooh, and I'd have to go look it up. But we, our first, our first deal together, other than just booking a show, was was co-producing Winnie the Pooh and doing a tour of that. We did that for two years while she was still on the East Coast,
5: and then we did the Jack Klugman on Golden Pond together. That was harmony. I wasn't on the West Coast yet. I had a. But no, so w-
6: she was on the East Coast and we decided, wow, this is cool. We need to do more of this.
5: Yeah, we're making money.
6: <laughs> and that's when you really came on board to do the, the, performing, the, arts. the performing arts arm. I did. And um, the first thing we did under the Harmony umbrella was a tour of On Golden Pond with Jack Klugman.
1: Mm-hmm. You say she came on to take over the, or to well, start, the start the performing arts. Were you primarily
6: band focused? We were band-focused, we were doing nightclubs, we were doing fairs and festivals, we were doing some corporate.
1: And primarily band, other than working with a company on The Little Mermaid.
6: Just, yeah. Other than that, it was just bands, okay. all bands all the time.
5: So yeah.
1: whenever you came on, it worked together to start to completely build out a performing arts swing.
5: Exactly. Exactly, we, we build it from nothing. And
1: how in the world do you do that? Because I have <laughs> no <laughs> concept.
5: So um, with, like,
1: you, you're at ground zero. You've produced a show to tour. What's your What are your next steps
6: to to build out that performing arts wing that, that,
1: that is now one of the primary focuses of harmony artists?
6: Right, mm, not so much. We actually still do quite a bit of fair and festival work. Yeah, um, we have uh, actually some of. So one of our companies that that does kids programming, uh, it, it, as a, a a book title, um, is doing the run of fair at the Washington State Fair right now. So there's a there's a fair amount of crossover. All right? But we're still pretty active in the fair and festival market. But now coming from the band business and looking at it, now, she'll probably have a different perspective than I do in, ter- in how we went from ground zero to developing it. <clears throat> um, she knew a lot of people in the industry and we started looking at other types of shows that were out there and people would talk to her about, hey, well, you know, you're doing this. You should take a look at this show, and you should take a look at that show. And because Harmony Artists already had a bit of a reputation, artists and managers weren't afraid to take a look at us in terms of representation. They didn't necessarily know that we were brand new in the the, uh, arts market. So that was kind of how I, from my side, how I saw it.
5: I would say that the way we did it was through relationships
6: better way to say it than I did.
5: (laughs) Well, like Jerry said about transparency, we have always been known, it's 48 going on 49 years that the company's there. But for all that time, it's been known as one of the most reliable and honest agencies. And you can't say that about other Mm -hmm. entities in our business. Many other, but not all. Right. I actually had retained all the relationships with people going back to the first day I ever booked a show when we were in four markets, because they knew me, they trusted me, they knew that I put quality entertainment on their stage. And so that helped. And then introducing Jerry, and he became very active in, well, he became more active than I did in working with APAP and work and became the president of Napama and built his I own like relationships. Yeah.
6: I like to from <laughs> You don't say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's a shock to everybody.
5: But he built his own relationships, but I would say that the way we built the business was integrity and relationships.
3: Excellent. So you you sort of touched on it there. You mentioned that, you know, you have other affiliations besides just Harmony Artists that you're doing more in the industry than, you know, you know, representing those artists, like you're on the NAPAMA board and working with APAP. So uh, obviously that helps with the relationship building side of things, but why is it important for you to
6: be involved in that? Well, when I was five and we started the business, uh, <laughs> as, we, as, we, as I've gotten older and I've moved through it, uh, I mean, you guys know me well enough to know the kind of person I am. Mm-hmm. I just love people. I, I always say my retirement will come when they pry the phone from my cold-dead hand because I enjoy so much what I do. People say, well, you, when are you going to retire? And I always say, "From what? Being able to give back and to, to see that, that light up in somebody else's eyes when you give them a piece of information, I can't remember who it was. There's somebody who says, man, what you gave me, when, when, and I don't even know what I gave them. Um, but there are people out there. Being, pre- president, being president of Napama was one of the most fun times I ever had, uh, even though it was such a fractured moment in the organization's history. It's just the ability to, to see someone's eyes light up um, and and see that they get it and that it's so cool. And that's, I mean, I just love doing that part of it.
1: Well, and you you are incredibly well-known <laughs> for mentorship and leadership within the industry Mm -hmm. your name has come up in a number of interviews for this podcast already Uh. as someone who invests into all of the new people that come in why is mentorship for both of you such a focus
5: well for me it's because i'm not going to be here forever i've seen a lot of people join the industry and fail it's important to me that, first of all, it's really important to me that people learn how to be in business and do business the right way. When I hear of all these negative comments, dissatisfied people because of what they've been told by somebody or this or that, I can't stand it. I don't want that to happen. I want people to know how to really do it right. That's number one. And number two, I love when... I can help somebody, and I don't want to be—I I don't want to be the, the old maven of the of the industry. I want to see the young people grow and succeed, and take over and keep it going the way it's going, which could easily not have happened. We went through a really rough time over the last few years, mm-hmm. especially, and my our phone juries and my phone rang constantly. What do I do? What do I do? You know, I, I, and depression and. You don't need to be because you know there is this industry is going to be here, but you've got to learn to work your way through it, mm. and so that's something I like to share.
6: I just he's I'm just Jerry, a nat- that's what it is. He's a, Jerry, I'm just the natural guy at it. I mean, it's just it just comes automatically to me. I, you know, I'm, I'm I've got four kids, I've got five grandkids, and I just like the idea of being able to reach out to somebody who's who's young and give them the benefit of what I've done. I, I, I guess it makes me feel good. I don't know, maybe it makes me feel important. I, I don't know, but it's all, you know, some of it's about legacy, too. Mm-hmm. You know, you just said my name's come up in a bunch of ways. And, you know, being able to, to someday when I walk away have, have that legacy is, is also very cool.
1: So let's, let's kind of take a little trip back in time for each of you separately. We'll start with you, Jerry. If you had advice for yourself at that moment whenever you decided to break away from New Dawn and start Harmony Artists.
6: Oh, geez. <laughs> what
1: what would you what would you
6: That's say? Forty eight years ago.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, what guidance, what advice would you give to yourself starting that agency and, and jumping off that cliff?
6: It's funny because it kind of ties into Adrian when she was still running American Family Theater. We I was in Philadelphia and we had a meeting with uh, uh, the woman who owned it at the time. And we were hanging out at the offices and we were talking about what I call, what we call insurmountable opportunity. Mm-hmm. As an agent, I get, especially now, because, you know, we don't look for talent necessarily. Although I see, a, I see something I like, I grab you know. Pete is a great example. I saw him on a podcast two years ago. I called Andrew, I said, hey, I think you guys are great, let's do something. But we get an, an insane amount of, calls and materials in but there are so many op- I mean there's a lot of great talent out there but you can only realistically handle so much of it and there are other opportunities that come our way if I was going back and I was telling whew, Jesus 25 year old Jerry it's okay to say no you cannot do everything don't beat yourself up when you do some. when you when you take on more than you can just remember where you're at don't don't make don't be mad at yourself for it. Just give yourself the opportunity to do what you can. Stay in your lane. Don't beat yourself up if you swerve out of it every once in a while. You're doing what you're doing the best you can. So
1: Kevin, where would where would you like to take Adrian back to?
3: I would say Adrian, if we could if we could go back to I would say the point where you started producing shows on on the festival side, getting involved into the, into that end of that. What advice would you give yourself at that point?
5: Going back to insurmountable opportunities. <laughs> I probably looking back, although over the years it has done well for me, I producing for the theater, the theater, producing for the stage is was one thing. It was what I knew. Pro- producing shows for festivals or large outdoor environments was not something I knew. And um, it it was actually quite a bleed on the business, because it cost more to do it. And we were figuring our way out Mm -hmm. where we already had a successful business in place. And so I probably would not have done that if I had You know, I, I would not have taken advantage of another market. I would have kept in the market that I knew that I was good at years later it's different um but at that time that's what i would have done the other thing i probably would have done is the more diverse i was in what i was producing and for whom i let go of strong opportunities for example, at that point, Radio City had come back. Oh, no, actually, actually, I was with Harmony already. When Radio City came back, and it was the president of Radio City, and he said to me, I, I, need you, I need you to budget for us. with Christmas Carol in Madison Square Garden. They, they were going to take it on tour. He said, I need you to budget for us. I need you to budget for us. And I couldn't, because I had so much out there, so mm. many tentacles into the marketplace. So insurmountable opportunities, I would have avoided them.
3: Excellent. I do have one more question for you, for uh-huh. both of you. Uh-huh. Obviously, like you have worked with hundreds, maybe even thousands of presenters over the years. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you've, got, you, you've, you've mentored these presenters as well. Mm-hmm. But I would be curious, you know, for somebody who is just starting out on the presenter side, what is the best piece of advice that, that you would give to them?
5: The best single piece of advice, I would say, would be to really get to know your peers. Really get to know the rest of people in your marketplace, mm-hmm. especially your marketplace. Get to know your marketplace. Get to know your, the people that live there. Get to know the demographics and what they're interested in. Many a meeting with community members to, to really see what has been in that venue in the past versus what they'd like to see. I think that's very important is to meet the needs of your community and to also involve them so they become your number one supporters.
6: It's great advice. Okay, so another piece of advice. If you're going to do it, make sure you're passionate about it. Don't lose sight of the fact that this is a business and you have to tick off all the boxes. I mean, my natural instinct is to start talking about programming, but I know that programming is here and running, well, programming is this inch and running a venue is this 12 inches. And as important as, and as fun as programming is, that's probably where the, the bulk of your passion is because that's gonna allow you, if you're into arts and ed, if you're into um, art, you're mm-hmm. doing now, Kevin, that, all that'll be your passion, but there will be this huge chunk of grunt work you have to deal with. And don't allow that to destroy your passion. Remember why you're there on the days when it seems like life just sucks. So
1: you mentioned, you know, you're be passionate about it. You also mentioned, remember, it's a business. As far as building your own presence in the industry, what is the balance between building relationships and doing business?
6: Those are the same things. There's no difference. If I only talk to you guys, well... I guess there is a difference. For me, um, I have to be careful that I don't spend too much time either of yours or of mine when we call, when I call, or when we're in a trade show or we're on a Zoom call, hanging out, chatting, mm-hmm. doing that sort of thing. But if that's all you do, if, if it's just a dry, hey, Josh, Kevin, here are these bands or artists or whatever, here's how much they cost, how much they is, you got any dates? You're never going to do anything. So it becomes a conversation that the business becomes part of. But it's a conversation about the relationship that you have with one another. So I don't think you can really separate them. I think it, it's one and the same. You just have to remember that there's a business aspect to it as well. Awesome.
1: One last short question. <laughs>
6: You're um, talking to me. Are you kidding short? Not the question a, itself will be short. OK.
1: <laughs> Within the Within the industry right now, today, what is your favorite thing about the industry and where we're at right now?
5: The excitement of all of the presenters getting to see each other again and see us again and talk to each other. The communication amongst ourselves, the the. As much as I sit and I hear that they say, oh, we're we're only at 45% ticket sales or 50% ticket sales, and and that's tough. It's still a lot more than we had for the last two years. And just feeling like we're the rebirth, like we're born and we're going to grow up together again is wonderful.
6: Being able to travel and see people again, Um, being able to interact with each other. Um, I love pitching. And I love hanging out with people, so I'm, I'm finally able to do that again, do that in person again. And I think for me, that's that's the most exciting single exciting thing.
1: Awesome! Thank you both for spending your time with us. Thanks, Kevin, for being here with me as well. We really enjoyed this. There was a lot of great nuggets in yes. there, and we can't wait to to listen to it. To mine them.
6: Right. Great. Yeah. <laughs> great. Thank you. So thank thank you.
1: you.
4: Love this conversation. I love hearing the history and the longevity of their careers. And I think the thing that stood out the most to me is the conversation about relationships. If we've learned anything on this podcast, it is about the value of relationships. And clearly that has not changed. That is not something that is new in this moment. That's not something that like has just become important in the last five or 10 years. Jerry and Adrian have built their entire careers on the value of relationships and really genuine relationships. And it was really great to hear that 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 we are all on the right track because that is how they have done what they've done um, and what we strive to do as professionals today.
2: I love how Jerry mentioned he loves to schmooze and that's, you know, one of his skill sets is talking with people and, and that's very important in our industry, no matter what role you have. And to go to Katie's point, I mean, I, I appreciated how Jerry talked about the social socialization being important, but also to not lose sight of the transaction and vice versa.
3: Yeah. And knowing that, you know, like the tenets of their, of their organization, you know, Harmony Artists is that it is relationships and honesty and integrity. I mean, that that's, that's their goal when they, when they, you know, work towards that transaction.
0: And it's interesting too, because like different generations sort of have different ways of viewing the world just because of different ways that they grow up and things that they live through and certain things. Um, And I believe it was Adrian described working in like New York and LA and it was different. Um, But she was talking about how like, quote, people are out to get you. Um, And it's like, now we just call that like a toxic workplace. You know, some things change, but they're also still the same.
3: I liked when Jerry was talking about, you know, that how important passion is in the industry. And I think it's something we always try to look and find in our jobs. And we hope to achieve that, you know, something working with something or in something that we're passionate about, but, I really liked how he sort of like tied that into the real world and why that's so important just because I've never thought about it in this context of like my passion is what gets me through the grunt work is what, you know, those days where I feel like I'm hitting the wall or like, I'm not making any progress. You know, I have an opportunity to go out and see the actual work that we're helping to create. So when I see a performance in a school or, you know, see a new uh, mural or sculpture go in, like, that's what reminds me like those days that it's, that it's difficult. Like it's that passion. And so that I thought was really a good way to, you know, sum all of that up.
4: In addition to that, Kevin, the impact, right? I think that really struck me too, struck a chord with me. And in addition to just like not only my personal passion, but also the impact that we can have and do have on our communities and the people around us, quite frankly, like we do these surveys after shows every once in a while, there's a great nugget of somebody that really appreciates what you did or what the show brought to their life. And I quite frequently print those out and put them on my wall because when I'm having the worst day that moment of somebody having great joy or having been impacted in such a positive way is what gets me through.
1: I enjoyed their take on mentorship a little bit in there. For Jerry, he said, you know, it's something that just comes naturally and and he he loves to impart knowledge to other people and keep things moving forward. And then to acknowledge that it is a way uh, of creating a legacy within the industry um is a great outlook on it that it isn't necessarily the reason that it's happening, but that it is there, and that their names will continue on because they've invested so much in the others around them.
2: I really love the way uh, Adrian thinks about that too, because she talked about how excited she was to make space for the next generation, and um, you know, to really help lift them up instead of trying to hold on to whatever power or whatever kind of situation she built for herself. She's like willing to not only share but to to make room for the next group of people, which is really fantastic.
0: I thought too, they reminded us a few times that no matter what it is we're doing, we are ultimately running a business. And I don't often hear agents talk about how they're selling an artist only in a specific region and are working with other agents, um, or just in other capacities to book that artist somewhere else. And, um, You know, she was talking a lot about like building relationships in that, but also that it is a great way to do business. And that's not, um, you know, that's not something that I've really heard too many people talk openly about before.
1: I also love their advice about getting to know your peers in your marketplace. And and that speaks on so many levels. One, know what the other theaters, what the other spaces, you know, as from a presenter standpoint, know what. The other theaters and the other spaces in your area are doing, and be current on knowing what they're doing, and whether it's successful or not, because that informs you so much uh, by by getting to see what others are are bringing to the area as well.
4: And then when you do have to have a conversation about like a radius clause or something, it makes it a lot easier to navigate that um, if you do have those relationships and you are current with what everyone else is doing and the challenges they're facing and can be in like community with them in that way versus being adversarial.
1: Thanks to Adrian and Jerry for sitting down with us today, Kevin, thank you for sitting down with me and being part of that interview. Uh, thank you guys for helping me to wrap all this up. So tune in next time. We'll see you again soon.
0: All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to there's no business Like Our producers and hosts are Brian Zelmer, Josh Benson, Kevin Maynard, Katie Miller, and me, Danielle Van Ho Views expressed in this podcast are ours alone and are not reflective of the organizations we are a part of. Keep up with us at nobusinesslife.com. There you'll find links to all of our episodes and socials. If you like this podcast, give us a like, a follow, a review, or our favorite, a five-star rating. Oh, wait, what was that site? <laughs> I got it, don't worry. It is nobusinesslike.com. Do I sound out bus I ness every time I type it? Yep, sure do. Stay in touch, my friends.
4: Okay, got it. I'm good.
1: As in, you're not going to answer, you're good? Or
2: like, <laughs> I'm good, but I'm, I'm not going to share. I'm good.
4: <laughs> yeah. I like, Hard person, pass. Tell me to go.
1: <laughs> I le- yeah, because, you know. So so often in this podcast do we wait for the opportunity for somebody to invite us to speak about something <laughs>